Hi, I'm Fioni. I'm a mother, a birth keeper, a teacher, a woman's mentor, a body worker, a doula, and so much more. Hi, I'm Deborah. I'm a mother, a humanitarian worker, a yoga teacher, and a student doula. In this podcast, we bring together women who share their journeys to motherhood with us. We want women to share their doubts, their fears, what they've learned along the way, and their memories. Our goal is to inspire, inform, and empower. Each woman is unique and has a story to tell. We hope that you'll love these stories as much as we do. Welcome to the Becoming Mother podcast. Hi, Theoni, how are you? Good, Deborah, lovely to see you. How was your birthday? I know you had your birthday not so long ago. Thank you, it was very good. Uh, Very quiet, but uh, very nice. (laughs) Lovely. Yes. Yeah, I'm super happy to see you. I can't believe it's our 10th episode already. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's quite an achievement that we've, I remember we set uh, ourselves as an objective to, to do 10 episodes and then see how, how we go, right? Um, what would you say are the main things you learned uh, while doing this podcast? Sure, I think, I think, I mean, I think we've both learned a lot, but I think for me, I've learned that there's divine timing, like timing is like it happens when it happens you can't force things it's you know there's time yeah um to really respect and honor where people are because some people you know said yes they definitely want to and then they were like no they don't um because i think it is such an intimate and such a, a honest space that we've created for people um so i think i've really learned that I've learned what a good organizer you are with our Google documents and keeping track of everything. <laughs> so I've learned that about you, how organized you are. Um, and I don't, and I and I know that you and I would not have done this podcast if it wasn't for Bungani, you know, sitting there on mute, recording Definitely. and giving us input. <laughs> what about this? What about that? And 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 I've learned so much about myself. Little things like. I didn't know that I smacked my lips together, which I don't do anymore. <laughs> I'm not aware of it. Or, <laughs> or um, there, I've just smacked my lips. <laughs> and then also like the words that we use a lot of. So, yeah, so it's really been not only, I think, have we learned about ourselves and about each other, um, also about what people like and what they're not liking about the podcast. Not that no one said they didn't like, not like something, but yeah. So it's, I think it's been fascinating. It's been a really amazing journey. And and for you, Deborah, what do you think you've learned? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you've just said. And uh, I think we've been challenged quite a lot of times with the power cuts, uh, the internet not working, no power, no connections. Yeah, it's, quite, it's been quite challenging, but I'm super happy we pulled it off. And I think uh, we can be proud of ourselves because um, I don't know if it's because we are doing the podcast. I notice more people who are pregnant and I'm so proud to be able to say, oh, you're pregnant. Listen, uh, I have a podcast uh, that I'm doing with my own doula and you should listen to it. And I have a few uh, colleagues um, that uh, have listened to it and really enjoyed it. Uh, one of my colleagues, I think his wife just gave birth a few days ago. And uh, the week before, he, he listened to all the episodes. And he told me, oh, we are loving your podcast. Uh, it's so interesting to listen to birth stories because they were really about to have their baby. 
so I think for me it was really yeah and I think what I've learned also is that doing a podcast is much more work than what I thought it was oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah a lot more <laughs> and we have as you said and we have Bongani helping with all the technical side um but yeah it's I think people don't realize all the work that goes behind uh, it's really a labor of love um and it has taken quite a lot uh of time in, in our, our lives but loving it loving the process and you know, I think what, the main thing that I've learned um I guess would be that every every woman is unique um and I always knew that, but li listening to each birth stories and how they unfold, uh, everyone has their own stories. And I love how you said in one of the episodes that uh, women get the birth that they need in the yes. sense that um, things unfold so that you can learn the lessons that you were meant to learn. And I, I think it's one of the, yeah, the things that, uh, that really st st struck me was that sentence, because in the end, it really summarizes uh, everything that we've heard uh, during that podcast. And I also think that women only understand that once they've had a baby. Yes. That you get the birth that you need. Like before, it's like, yeah, okay. And then it's like, oh, now I get it. Exactly. And I think I learned to be a better listener. Yeah. Uh, and that's... That's priceless because I think it's it's human nature. When someone is speaking, you're always thinking about what you're going to say next. And uh, with this podcast, it was really about uh, holding space for the woman to to share her birth story and not to intervene too much. So guiding her so that she could tell it the way that she wants to tell it, but without really prompting her too much or asking yeah. too many questions. Exactly. Today, we are interviewing Morgan and Nicola um, and Lisa, who uh, is the doctor who spoke to us on episode seven of our podcast, uh, knows them. And she told us, you need to speak with this couple. They are such a lovely couple. So she put us in contact with them. We've never met them before. And tonight was uh, the first time that we chatted with them. And I'm so glad that we did, Tony. As we know, most people having babies are usually heterosexual couples. And so it was so lovely to to see two women who really want to have babies. And, you know, it's hard when you're just two women to have a baby. So, you know, you've got to make a plan. And it's just so lovely to hear their story and to see, you know, what is possible. I think our listeners are going to love this story because uh, it's so refreshing to hear a different story. And, and we really wanted to bring uh, this on the podcast because um, I think for same-sex uh, parents, it's not so obvious uh, the journey that they will have to go through to have a baby. Uh, and I think this story brings a lot of hope. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a beautiful story of how two moms who love each other uh, decide to have babies and, and go on this journey together to have them. Finally, Good. We are here. Okay. Nicola and Morgan to the podcast. Finally, thank you. We are happy to speak to you today. And we've been trying for a while. So thank you so much for being with us and for your patience. Thank sure. you for having us. So would you like to just uh, tell us um, your names, uh, ages, what your family consists of, where you're living, just so that you can um, yeah, put everyone in the picture? 
Perfect. So I'm Nicola. I'm soon to be 35. Yeah, we live in Ramburg, well, sort of Cresta area. I come from a, a smaller family compared to Morgan. Um, she comes from a very large Greek family, so there's a lot of them, whereas I come from a very small family with kind of just three or four of us. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that's just, that's me. Um, I'm a teacher. Um, I teach primary school. I love my job, um, although it can be challenging at times, but I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, yeah, so my day is filled with children at school and at, at home, I suppose. Nice. And then I'm um, 32 years old. Uh, like Nicola said, I have quite a big family. Not as big as most. Uh, it's not a, a typical Greek family, but we do have Greek blood. Um, so, yeah, we have lots of cousins and aunties and uncles. And I've got two brothers, a mom and a dad. I teach little babies. So I have babies at home and <laughs> <laughs> and babies at school. So, yeah, I, I love my life and happily married and, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm really curious how, I mean, you know, obviously the phrasing of the question. And so when I asked about your family, I'm talking about the two of you are a family and your children are your family, not where you've come from. But isn't it interesting how how we can so so tell me tell us a little bit about what makes your family? Uh, our family is made up of two moms, a mommy being Morgan and a mama being me, and our two incredibly gorgeous, smart, remarkable children. Um, our daughter Olivia, who's five, and our son Elijah, who is eleven months almost. Oh. 11 months, just, just 11 months, yeah. Nearly one, nearly one. And um, how did you two meet each other? Well, 13 years tomorrow was our first date, so we've been together for 13 years. We, Happy anniversary. Was, thank Thanks. you. <laughs> <laughs> we met at university. I was studying to become a teacher, obviously, and Nicola as well. I was a first-year student, and Nicola was a third-year student. Being a first year, Nicola offered her advice for my very first teaching prep. Um, she stopped me in the corridor one day. And anybody that knows Nicola, she talks with her hands all the time. Yeah. And she's, do you need <laughs> help? If you need help, just contact me as my number. And the rest is history, really. And, yeah, we haven't stopped speaking since. Yeah. Amazing. It's really as simple as that, I suppose. Yeah, we just met suppose we instantly knew there was something about each of us that the other was attracted to and and that was it yeah, yeah. It's, like we say 13 years from that day really um we dated <laughs> um for about four years uh got engaged we we're engaged for about two years and then we got married and and we've been married for I think we said seven years this year yeah yeah and so did you know when you wanted to be I mean did you know that you know, you wanted to be a mother or you wanted to be a mother or did you always want to be? Did it unfold? Yeah, tell us more about that. I've always wanted to be a mom. I hadn't ever really pictured myself as a mom, but from a very, very young age, I always wanted to be where babies were. Even myself as a, as a, a small child starting nursery school, I would be the one following the teacher, helping her look after the, the younger ones and helping her blow their noses and helping, you know, um, 
And whenever we had neighbors who had babies, um, it was always a struggle for my mom to keep me home because I wanted to be where the babies were. I wanted to help. Um, yeah, always, you know, played with my dolls and dressed them up. And I had to have the nappies and the powders and the creams and make it as, as realistic as possible. Yeah, sort of just as far back as I can remember. And if my mom tells stories, it always is, you know, couldn't find you. Where were you? At the neighbor with the baby. Couldn't, you know, in the shop, where were you looking at the lady with the baby in a pram? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I just always wanted to be a mom. How that would come about never, ever occurred to me. But I just knew that it was that I wanted to be a mom. Yeah, I'm the same. But I I think I had a more like logical kind of thing. Like I realized that I was gay a lot earlier than I think Nicola did. So I was more like, how can I have babies? I've always wanted babies, but at, at a young age, I never actually understood how I could. And so it was... It was a little bit of a tickle for me growing up thinking I won't have children because I'm probably going to land up marrying a girl. But as I got older, obviously, I researched, I did my, um, thank goodness for Google, Google, <laughs> and, and thank goodness for our friends as well that are like-minded and they also wanted to have children and they got married to females and that kind of stuff. So we learned a lot from our circle, our group, and as I grew up, I accepted and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I realized that I could have what I dreamed of. And I ended up having exactly what I wanted. Yeah, and I think South Africa is quite advanced for that. I, I am from France and gay marriage was legalized much, much later than it was in South Africa. So you guys are yeah. much, much more advanced uh, when it comes to the scale of rights. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so yeah, you. how and when did you decide to have a baby together? Yeah, so... We always, I don't think we, I don't remember us formally discussing like the plan of we're going to get married and then mm-hmm. that much later we're going to have babies or whatever. But we kind of, I think because we had been together for so long that by the time we got married, we we knew each other well enough to know that we didn't still need to spend years getting to know each other and whatever. So for us, it was actually quite a quick space between getting married and falling pregnant. Um it was probably about six or seven months, really, yeah. because we got married in the November and then the next year we decided, you know, let's let's give it a go and see what happens. And we really didn't know what exactly it would entail. We knew that I would go first. I would carry uh, the first baby if I could um, because I am slightly older than Morgan and um, by three years. So just in terms of biologically, we, yeah, we understood that it would be better if I went first and then she went next. Yeah. Um, so we sort of found a fertility clinic near us, which is MedFem, the fertility clinic um, near Santon. And um, we booked an appointment. Um, obviously, because we're in school, we, we don't have like, we can't take mornings off, you know what I mean? So we had to kind of book an appointment on a day when we didn't have school, but it wasn't a weekend. So it ended up being very similar to this year's, the long weekend we're having in two weeks time where the Thursday is freedom day and then the Friday is a school holiday and then the Monday is workers day. And so we booked the appointment for the Friday because it's a working day, but for us, it was a school holiday. Yeah. I'd been, we'd been for our blood test just to check in advance and they had all of that with them and we arrived for our appointment, having no intention of doing it then, just kind of like looking into it and what would this entail and yeah, and then you ask questions to, to doctors yeah, just, like, just to see, you know, like what does this mean and, and how does it work and what are the chances and, you know, 
to find out if what we understood was really how it worked. And, and among your, your family and friends, did you know people who went through this journey to whom you could ask questions and, and talk about it? Or was it really time, new for you? No, I think at the time we had one friend yeah. couple that was going through a similar situation. So we had each other. Um, we didn't rely on them for all the answers. And because some of the stuff for them was personal and that kind of stuff. So we didn't really want to probe too much. So we kept all our questions for our wonderful doctor. Yeah. And I'm sure Nicole, Nicola will elaborate on all of that now. <laughs> yeah, so our family had no idea we were doing it. Um, and neither did our friends really. So we kind of had to ask questions in a very vague, like, mm, if we were to consider something like this, what would happen? You know, we wanted to do the whole, like, surprise thing because for us it isn't spontaneous. It's not just a... It's been a good Oops. month. It's really medically planned and it's, there's nothing spontaneous about it. Like, right. <laughs> you know, so for us, it was different. So we wanted to try and keep it as, as special for our families as we could without, you know, knowing everybody knowing it's coming and also, less pressure on yourself. yeah. And to avoid that pressure of everyone saying like, and, you know, and did it work? Did it work? You know? So we just kept it very quiet. We didn't tell anyone. We just went for our appointment And then we got there and I had my scan done and the uh, fertility doctor that we saw was amazing. And she just basically said to us, well, if you want to, we can do it this weekend because you're about to ovulate like in two days time. And do you have a donor? And have you thought about that? And we were like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, you're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, literally, we kind of looked at each other, looked at her, looked at each other. We didn't know what to say. And we thought, you know what? Maybe this is the time. Maybe this is all just divine timing. So we went for it. And we thought, well, you know, if it's right, it's right. And if it's not, it's not. But, you know, how do we know without trying? So we went for it. Uh, we had about 15 or 20 minutes before the sperm bank was closing. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, it was the most ridiculous I think if we think back, it was actually like knowing us, we are not spontaneous people. Like we don't do things without, I don't do anything without planning. Like even dinner, I must know in advance. I can't just eat something, whatever. I'm like that bad. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hectic. Um, but for some reason, it just, it just felt right. We went across the corridor to the sperm bank and we picked three on a list. The lady said, well, pick three. Here's the list. Pick three. Um, How did and you then pick? Were well, there just Were there photos? How, how did no, it work? No, no, it was just no, no a table of like height, weight, weight eye color, hair color, skin color, um, and profession. Yeah. And that was it. And we and knew was what. There, was there a way to decide whether your child could uh, contact the person at some point when they're adults? No, it's completely anonymous um, and they have no, I suppose, unless something changes in the future, they won't be able to make contact with whoever the person is. Yeah, it's totally anonymous. We just we just know the donor by number and that's as much as it. So, and yeah, so we you, had a list. What were your criteria? How did you pick those three donors? <laughs> well, yeah, you would think we thought, it, we thought it through really well when it came to me yeah. because we picked a donor that, <laughs> had Morgan's features. So like darker, because I'm quite like pale and not good in the sun. <laughs> so, so we kind of, 
<laughs> we we picked someone who who had uh, darker skin and darker hair because I'm blonde and like things like that. More, and more Medita- Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we picked. And um, there was actually only one on the list that fit the criteria. that criteria. Um, and so we took the nurse that was their list of the fir- of the three. The first two, she said, no, she didn't think that that would be the right person for us. She's obviously they know the donors. Um, okay. And so she said, you know, that one, no, I don't think that one would work. This one, I'm not sure if he's right for you. And then the last one, which was the perfect criteria, she said, what a lovely person. Um, I think that this would be a good match for for your genes, his genes. You know, um, she obviously has a file with more information on them than we are allowed to know. Um, and she sort of took that out and then said to us, you know, looking at this and his age and whatever, it seems like a good match. They had straws available for us to use on the Monday. So just, just explain, because not, I mean, I understand what straws are, but the average person doesn't understand oh, sure. what a straw is. So explain. So it's like, a, it's a, I suppose it's a sperm sample in a straw, basically. Not, and it not looks a like straw. a test tube, yeah. um, a little tiny baby test tube. Um, that they obviously freeze after cleaning and doing whatever they do with it. Um, and then they keep them like that until you need them. So, yeah. Um, and I suppose they only have, to our understanding, a certain amount um, of straws frozen per donor. So when they're up, they're up. That's our understanding yeah. of it. Yes. And did she explain um, why she was not recommending the other two that uh, were on your shortlist? <laughs> well, um, we don't want to offend anyone who listens. <laughs> just, you know, they said they might not have been totally honest on their appearance, on their, what they said about themselves. So um, brown hair, watch ginger hair. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So she was more okay. open with us than, yeah. than um, I think any other fertility, fertility clinic would have been. Um, which we appreciated. Yeah. And and the last question we, we asked her was, would she be happy if her daughter brought this man home? And um, she landed up saying, of course, with, with him like, like yeah. a, of course. Good question. She, Good question. I like that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so, so she sold him to us and we are forever grateful for this gentleman. Um, we tell our children, well, Elijah's a bit too small at the moment, but we've always told Olivia about this kind gentleman that helped make her, and we're very open, and we will be open with Elijah as well. Yeah, and thank goodness for DNA tests as well later on in life if they ever do want to find him for the, um, like the I think it's called 23andMe or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of DNA tests that they can follow up once they're older if they do find want to find him. And what other questions did you ask her? Because I, I really like that question. <laughs> I think we just asked, because what they do give you um, was a childhood photo. Once we had decided, they then gave us a, a page of information about the donor, um, which included a childhood photo of, of him, a real photo of him as a child, and then an adult photo of like a celebrity lookalike. So like who he looks most like. And yeah, I think we were just more concerned with the character of the person. It didn't really bother to us what he did or whether he had a university degree or, I mean, like, I just want to know that 
is he kind to his mom? Um, yeah. Does he have a good relationship with his mom and that kind of stuff? And and um, yeah, it seemed like he did. It seemed like he had a very very close relationship with his mom. Yeah. So yeah, they were very, very good choice. Very, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you, so you were at the clinic, you didn't plan on doing this right away. And here they no. come and they, they ask you to pick a donor and you found a donor. And then what happened next? <laughs> so we then, um, they sent us off to their little pharmacy to get their, um, the injection that Morgan had to give me, I think on the Saturday night or whatever, which, which then creates an, a, a sort of like a guarantees an ovulation cycle. Um, so that when you do go back to the fertility clinic for your insemination, you, there's a, I suppose it just guarantees that you have ovulated and it's not a waste of a, of a, a an insemination because we did not do IVF. Um, we didn't want to go through the whole schlep of yeah. having to have a medicated. And obviously I didn't, I hadn't been medicated. I it was a totally non-medicated anything. And because I was going to carry my own egg, there wasn't a need for me to, to uh, have my eggs retrieved. Your eggs. Mm. No, there was no need for that. So we just went the the uh, IUR route, which is just the insemination. So yeah, we went and fetched the uh, the injection, the syringe, and they said to Morgan, "Do it tomorrow night or so Saturday oh, night." So, so you did it yourself. You didn't do it at the clinic. No, no, no. Just the injection for the for the egg. No, the injection, the injection of the ovulation, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And then, um, but we, yeah, we considered that doing it ourselves, and just didn't think it was going to be the wisest choice. So, Nicola, like, if I'm if I'm correct, yeah. the so what you did, what they did is they put the sperm into the uterus, so it's not yes. that easy to do at home. No, that's why we thought you're not in the uterus. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if you speak to people, it makes it sound like in the movies where it's just like, oh, it's so easy and simple. And then, you know, we fell pregnant and it was all wonderful and marvelous. But actually, like you said, it's not that easy. And yeah. and then it's, you know, you, then it's how do you find a donor if you're doing it yourself? And so it's it's a lot more than that. But but yeah, so they just said to us, come back Monday morning, like before the sun comes up, basically, and you just wait until the okay, doctor so gets. First you did the injection over the weekend. To release yeah. your egg. Yeah, yeah on Saturday night. And how and did you feel? Wait, how, how was your weekend before Monday morning came up? I don't even remember. I think from the time we left to the time we arrived on that Monday, it was like the craziest ride because we were not finding anyone. So we, we knew where we were going on the Monday and we knew where we had come from. And we knew what our plan was. And then we still had to go about seeing our family over the weekend and just like be normal like <laughs> hello you know like things happening <laughs> no like no wherever you know nowhere. <laughs> just for lunch you know like it was just it was the it was the wildest ride actually it was the best though. yeah looking back on it it's 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 like it's been the most fun experience for us yeah both times it took three times with olivia our firstborn yeah it so, didn't work that monday the first of yeah. may um, okay. Yeah, it didn't work. We went in, we did everything. Um, it didn't work. We tried again on my next cycle. It didn't work. Um, and then we tried again on the on my third cycle, which we actually had agreed that if it didn't work the third time, we would then give Morgan a try. And if that didn't work three times, then it wasn't meant to be. 
Lovely. Okay. So and you so, decided already on that. Yes. Yeah, we had decided before before we went, you know, um, and also because when we met with the fertility doctor initially, she said to us, have these discussions over the weekend, you know, talk about what are you going to do if, if that happens, if you have a scan and there's an abnormality, if you, you know, if you have to make medical decisions for your baby, discuss things like that before you get there, because don't make emotional decisions on the spot later on. So we did, we went home and we chatted about everything and we had made decisions and yeah. And so the third time, um, and did you decide that if it wasn't working, you would try in vitro or there was something you, you didn't want to try? No, we didn't want to try that. We just wanted to keep it as, as natural as we could, you know, without having it become a stressful medical procedure rather than just something that we could do as stress-free as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how was it when you uh, actually got pregnant? Morgan, were you here when they yes. introduced the sperm? How, how did it go? How did you feel? <laughs> well, we, we collected the actual sperm from the, from the sperm bank um, that morning, and I had to keep it warm. I to, <laughs> so I put it in my bra and I was doing every pre-manageable that I could think of. I was just talking to the baby already and I was just, you know, hoping that she could or he could be. And, yeah, and once the doctor had Nicola ready, I passed over our little baby, little spoon <laughs> sample, took, took the, the little tube out of my bra. It was nice and warm. And, yeah, they, they did what they needed to with Nicola. And, yeah. We found out after the two-week wait that Nicola was pregnant, thank goodness. Yeah. And like we say, we, you know, our fertility doctor, um, both of them, we had different doctors for myself and Morgan, but uh, the doctor that, that I dealt with, she was amazing. And, and even on our insemination, she, it wasn't her day working, but she came in because she just felt so invested in us for some reason. So um, connected to us. Yeah. yeah, that she came in. I still remember she walked in. Her hair was wet because she had just got out the shower. It was like super early on for the last try on a Saturday morning. And she was just so invested in us. And she just wanted this for us almost as badly as we did. You know, she... She was amazing. Um, she put our minds at ease. She was so supportive. She was, she answered all 7,000 questions we had. She replied to all our emails. She, she really was, she made it so pleasant. And I know that like it's a weird thing to say because it's a, it's a weird experience to make a baby that way. So, but for her to understand that and to almost know that for us, it was, You know, it wasn't a private, intimate thing like maybe heterosexual couples experience most of the time. And I think any couple who's gone through this, even if it has been your first time, it's it's extremely stressful to to have that insemination procedure done and then go home and just wait. And you know, I don't know, and, and it's I haven't ever had it any other way. So I don't know. Maybe it's less stressful than if you know you're trying and I don't know, but I just know that she made it feel like it was so special and it wasn't just going to a clinic and doing something that was sterile and medical. And it was more than that. And she was, um, I remember that last time, actually, because now it was our third time um, and we kind of knew what was coming, we were 
waiting in the room. Um, on the, I was on the bed and Morgan was sitting on the chair. And we I don't know what we were doing or what we were talking about, but we were laughing in hysterics waiting for her to come <laughs> in. And eventually she came in and she was like, guys, like everyone can hear you. You need to be like quiet. <laughs> so loud. Like, And we didn't realize. We just felt so comfortable and so at, at, at peace in, in her room that we we weren't like stressfully waiting for her to come in. It was, yeah, we just felt so you relaxed. Do you want to share her name? Yes, her name was Dr. Joanne Cotto from MedFem. Yeah. So I think you should share this episode with her. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And thank God for her because she not only gave us our baby or helped give us our baby, our first baby, she actually picked up that Nicola had an antiphospholipid syndrome. So that is a condition where your blood clots. Yeah. And if she never picked it up, uh, our baby could have not got all the blood and nutrients through her umbilical cord. Um, and we could have lost Olivia. So thank God. Yeah, thank God for Dr. Potter. So just because there is, the, the, there is two of you, and we kind of want to get get to to all the good bits. <laughs> so, Nicola, do you want to start with how your pregnancy was, or, or Morgan? Do you want to start with how you conceived? I don't mind. T- Mine is going to be a lot quicker. Okay. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So, how was so your pregnancy? Um, other than the the baby and the belly growing, I had not a single pregnancy symptom sign poop thing ever I didn't have a second of nausea I didn't have any food aversions I didn't have I didn't have any of that um, it's because that love of babies I'm telling you that love of babies you're like bring it on I'm ready bring it on <laughs> I really had it was amazing like I enjoyed every every second of it from the time I knew I was pregnant to the time well, to today, I've never, yeah, I had no cravings. I had, I did not do anything. At the time I was teaching PE and I was, I was up and down on the field all day. I was carrying around netball balls and soccer balls and cones and all kinds of equipment. And and nothing bothered me. I had nothing. um, I wasn't ill with anything. I didn't, I literally had the most pleasant pregnancy ever. My birth was slightly different, but my pregnancy okay. was amazing. As and Morgan so how, said. And how did you prepare? How did you prepare for the birth? And how did you decide on how you wanted to birth? So I made all kinds of preparations and decisions. Uh, by, you know, sort of, I wanted to go as natural as possible. Um, I, my, my ideal birth would have been at home with a, you know, a, a doula or whatever, not in a hospital, um, just on my own in water was my, you know, was my thing. I would love to have had a water birth at home with my, my family. And, but because as Morgan said, Joe picked up that I had antiphospholipid syndrome, I had to be quite closely monitored. Um, I had to inject every single day, every morning. I did a clexane injection in my stomach and I also took, uh, Ecotrin tablets every single day. So I also then had a lot more scans through my pregnancy. I had uh, Can you explain what syn- syndrome it is? So it's a syndrome where the blood clots. Yeah. And so that's why the ecotrin and the, um, the other one, you've just said it, 
kicks in. That's for thinning the blood. Because what can happen is that the blood gets so thick that it actually can stop the baby's heart, basically. So I'm working with a client at the moment that they didn't pick it up. She's been overseas and she's just come here and a doctor picked it up here. She's lost six babies. No. So, but she's finally pregnant. So again, well, this is the Wonderful. furthest she's got. So, so I'm wow. glad that they picked it up first time. What a blessing. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, that's why we say like, what made Joe run those tests on me? I have no idea. I have no idea because it's not a common thing. And it's not even in the fertility uh, sort of sphere of, of pregnancy, they don't normally test for that unless you've yeah. had multiple unexplained losses. And I've never been pregnant before. I've never lost a baby before. So what made her test for that? I have no idea, but I'm so grateful she did. So, so yeah, so I just did my injections, which thankfully I don't have a fear of needles or anything. So it was, it was a, like a non-issue for me. It didn't bother me at all. Um, I was extremely bruised all over my abdomen. But other than that, yeah, it didn't bother me. Did one you have bit. to do those injections every day or how does it work? Yeah, Morgan actually did them. And it started like a cute little routine because every morning we would get dressed for school and every morning we would go to the fridge where we kept, kept all the syringes. I'd lift my top. She would say good morning to our baby, sing a little song to baby, do my injection, give the injection site a little kiss say goodbye to baby and off we went to work every day. <laughs> so um, cute. <laughs> yeah, and it, it actually became the cutest little little thing that it was like kind of we missed it the second time when we didn't have to inject her, you know, because <laughs> it was so cute. Um, yeah, um, and so because of that I couldn't have uh, – well, it wasn't um, – advised that I had the birth that I'd wanted. They suggested that I'd rather be monitored in a hospital. Um, and because of that, I was induced um, a few days before my due date. I think it was about five days before my due date, um, just so that I could go off of all the blood thinners a few days beforehand and then be monitored so that nothing went wrong and then go in, be induced, and then hopefully have a natural birth, which unfortunately after um, about – 14 hours of labor um it just didn't it just didn't happen she was snug as a bug and she didn't want to come so yeah I ended up having a cesarean late in that evening and also it was even that it wasn't my my choice of birth uh, leading up to it it was still a very special experience um funnily enough uh there was no I don't know why if it was planned but there was not a single man in the delivery room, both Argani, the pediatrician, the anaesthetist, all the nurses, they all happened to be women that night. And it was just, I don't know, like looking back, it was just such a, and, and I had a girl. So it was like the most glorious um, experience and just like, like typical girl power moment, you know, <laughs> there were just women in there and that was it. And we did it. She was born and she was tiny we all thought she was going to be huge because uh, I was I carried quite big and the scans showed she was big, but she was, sure. I think, 2.6 yeah. Ks. She was this tiny little thing. Um, she did go to NICU that first night um, because she had a little bit of water on her or well, fluid on her lungs and they just wanted to make sure that she was fine. But, yeah, I think my birth experience was a lot more pleasant for me than it was for Morgan. She, she experienced my birth very differently, and she can, she can uh, tell you about her experience <laughs> of my birth. 
Um, so I'm not quite sure what happened um, during the procedure of the C-section, but Nicola started to lose consciousness. Obviously, maybe her blood, they lost a little bit too much blood. Or um, So I had my daughter on one table and my wife on the next, and I keep looking back at, at Nicola and seeing that she's not with me anymore. Like She's not, not conscious, or I don't know what was happening, but it was sure. quite a quite a, a traumatic kind of experience to think, oh, my God, my wife is going to go places where I don't want her to go, and now what do I do? Um, but the the doctors turned it around quite quickly. Thank God for them. Um, what did you, you say the other night? What was it? I can't remember now. It was a postpartum bleed, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Hemorrhage. Hemorrhage, yes. yes. I think that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, so it was quite scary for me to see Nicola not – Fully with me, but Olivia was very, 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 very sweet. Um, I spent the first night with her in the NICU, and the months before she was born, I was taking um, motilium. And motilium is an anti-nausea drug, but also um, it's for um, breast breast production, breast milk, lactation. Yeah, lactation. So I had been making my own breast milk. Oh wow! Amazing. And even though she didn't come from my womb, I had a very, very, very first special first night with her. And I breastfed her and I made sure that she was all safe in the NICU while mama was healing. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was a very, very special night that I think I'll treasure for the rest of my life. So now did you both breastfeed her or did just one of you breastfeed her? Uh, Nicola was the main source, but when Nicola needed a break, obviously I would take over and just be more of a comfort for Olivia. Um, because obviously Nicola had all the colostrum and all the good stuff. Um, I was more of a, although Olivia was getting all the good stuff from me as well, I was more of a comfort for her than anything. So, and also to give Nicola a break. <laughs> Amazing. One of, the many, one of the many perks of having two moms. Absolutely. Definitely. Like, yeah. I'm tired. You've got boobs. You <laughs> use your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Use them. <laughs> My, my pregnancy journey, like Nicola said, is, is a lot more complicated in terms of all the symptoms. I had morning sickness. I had carpal tunnel syndrome. I had, you name it, I had it. It was quite a hectic kind of pregnancy. But although it was hectic, I really, really enjoyed it. I would do it in a heartbeat again. We went to a different hospital and a different doctor this time. We went to our amazing doctors at Park Lane Clinic. Um, at Oxford Maternity um, little ward there and they are amazing they are so amazing they felt like home to us as well just like Joanne Pato did yeah they helped us through everything with all my symptoms and my sickness and my all that kind of stuff and they made sure little Elijah was healthy and happy um, but to make Elijah also was was quite was a was a beautiful journey and we had different doctors I had Dr. Rodriguez. Um, he was amazing as well. I think he was one of the founders of um, MedFem Fertility Clinic. So he also felt like home to us. He felt, I just lost my uncle who was Antonia Rodriguez. So I'm quite like um, symbolic that way. So if if something shows up like that, like the doctor's name was Rodriguez and my uncle's name was Rodriguez, I thought it was quite a quite a nice sign from above that I was in good hands. So, and, and, and it turned out I was, and 
went for my first um, insemination. It didn't work, unfortunately. The second time, it also didn't work. The third time, it didn't work as well. And, and sorry, so you went and got sperm from the same donor? Yes, 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 yes. Amazing. Yeah. That, that was, was that plan from the from the start or? Yeah. When we chose the donor, sorry, I actually forgot that we had asked. When you asked what other questions did we ask, one of the questions we asked was, how many births does this donor have and how many more can they have? Um, we were informed that obviously there's a limited number of live births that a donor can have, obviously to to not have hundreds of children running around. And there was enough to have sort of two or three more births for his 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 profile. sperm, yeah, for his profile. So, um, and we you reserve asked, it for 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 yourself. Yeah. We asked them to reserve it for us in case we did want to have um, any more children. Yeah. So on that, the the we were running quite quickly out of straws, out of sperm straws. So our very very last trial was our very very last sperm straw. Sure. Very, yeah. Um, sure. So Elijah's a very precious little boy to us. Um, yeah. So the very last time was really remarkable. We did, I don't know, we prayed to all the gods that, that were up there, all the angels. Yeah. This time our family did know because we needed a lot more help with our older child, Olivia. We needed someone to watch her, to um, make sure that she was okay and that kind of stuff. So people needed to be involved this time around. And then I needed to take time off in the morning to go um, to the fertility clinic. Um, And luckily, MedFem opens at 6 o'clock in the morning. So anyone that is listening and has been to MedFem, they would know um, the very early hours um, that you go and you wait and you put your name down and um, yeah, it's just the most remarkable experience. Yeah. Um, Did the doctor share some tips uh, to help you uh, make it work uh, after three times? I'm not really. Was, was there anything you did? Uh, no. To help the processor. No, but he did pick up in the beginning that I had um, underactive thyroid. So he had put me on medicine for a few months prior. Um, and, yeah, hopefully by then my thyroid was on par as it should be. And maybe that was a trick. Maybe that was the, the saving Magic. grace. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, my, my fertility clinic and journey was amazing. My um, pregnancy journey was a little bit traumatic. Higgledy, higgledy. <laughs> Um, I couldn't smell mints, but Nicola was making mints one evening, and oh my goodness me, oh, I'll never forget, I was like, babe, babe, never make that again, it was, <laughs> it was terrible, although I know she's, like, normally, like, if she had to make it right now, I would be like, oh my gosh, that smells amazing, but no, not well while I was pregnant, mints, I couldn't do mints at all, at all, um, whereas Nicola, she had such a smooth pregnancy, um, but yeah, nine months went flew by, and uh, like I said, I would do it in a heartbeat again to have our babies. And how did your birth go, Morgan? You didn't speak about your birth yet. My birth uh, for the at Park Lane, it was amazing with our doctors. The birth, uh, I waited. I went for my forty-week um, scan, and Elijah wasn't budging. He was still there, snug as a bug. I waited another week. I was 
think I was 41 weeks and a few days and he still wasn't coming. So I was induced. But when we got there, she was actually already in labor. Yes. uh, We had to go at midnight. By the time we got there, they said she was actually having mild contractions as it was. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had cleaned out our bottom, like we have like a kind of cellar downstairs. It's not full of wine, unfortunately. (laughs) It's more full of our children's stuff. stuff. (laughs) Um, So I cleaned that out. I did the garden the day that I went into hospital. I, I was proper nesting. Yeah, I went there at midnight. They put the machines on my tummy, and I was in labor. I was having contractions, and I wasn't even realizing it. So I was in labor for 22 or so hours. It was quite intense. I walked around the hospital um, parking lot whew, so many times, stopping for breaks, doing catching my breath. You know, it was incredible. And then just just like that, my labor stopped. Boom, stopped. All the contractions, everything just stopped out of nowhere. And I was just, I remember, I think Nicola even took a photo of me and I was, I was doing a crossword puzzle. I was in, in no pain at all. I, had, I hadn't taken any medication at all. Um, I just wasn't in pain anymore and my contractions weren't there. Our doctor came and she tried to see how far I was dilated. But my cervix is quite posterior apparently so um that experience was yeah I wouldn't want to try um going through not that again. comfortable no <laughs> and for them to check how dilated I was oh no thanks um so she couldn't actually see how dilated I was um so we just decided there and then that I was going to have a c-section I think I was just tired emotionally, physically, and I just wanted to meet my boy. I'd waited 41 weeks, gone through labor. <laughs> I, I tried my best. Um, and so, yeah, we went into theater and he was born. A healthy, beautiful baby boy, 3.7 kilograms, a lot bigger wow. than his sister. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot bigger than his sister. Um, he came to me straight on my boob. Um, yeah, amazing. And he hasn't left my boobs since. (laughs) (laughs) So now, Nicola, are you doing the same? Are you also providing milk when necessary? No, um, I didn't. Uh, I just, yeah, it just didn't work out uh, the way I'd hoped uh, with him, um, which was, it was sad and a bit surprising because I had like an an abundant supply. Um, It was one thing I I never, ever thought I would ever sort of run out of was milk. Um, but I think since the birth of Olivia and then the birth of Elijah, our lives have become so much more chaotic and busy um, that I actually just didn't have the time to prepare to myself, pump. yeah, to pump and get ready. And, yeah, and I was back at work. I mean, I had a, a week off with them um, when he was born, and then I was back at work, yeah. and um, I just but didn't you have the time. to bump when you're in class with kids around you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. Bit, just a little I'm bit inappropriate. Yes, they'll freak out. Yeah, <laughs> you're not the kids, yeah. but, you know, the people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I unfortunately didn't. From time to time, he has come to me, like Morgan said, for comfort. But uh, I haven't been able to. Well, I haven't produced the milk that she was able to for for Olivia. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's been beautiful. And, it's such an amazing so, journey. Yeah, and so recovering from the Caesar for, for each of you, I mean, how was that? I mean, was it similar? Was it? Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think 
people make it out to be really, really traumatic and sore. And But for both of us, it was actually quite fun. It was okay. If you take your medicine, like if it's sore, take medicine. Take your anti-inflammatories. Don't be a hero and not take anything like that. Um, so, yeah, it was the healing was quick. I think the second time around when you have a toddler running around, you have no choice but to just get up and do what you need to and all that jazz. Um, the first time around, I think we took it a lot more easier with you. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was beautiful and healthy and healing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, the healing afterwards wasn't, wasn't bad at all. Neither of us had any issues. Um, we've all, yeah, we've, we healed well. We didn't, we could not do anything. Um, and yeah, we just carried on with our lives really. Um, we, we had babies and, and that was the, that was it, you know, that was, the blessing was there and, and, and that's all we've really had sight on was, was our babies. And the rest of it kind of became a blur in the background, to be quite honest. Mm. Coming from families that, um, you know, obviously, you know, two women together, married, two babies, um, how have your families been? I mean, have your families been supportive? Um, how have they been through the whole journey of you becoming mothers? My gosh, we have the most amazing families on both sides, the most supportive, most loving, most understanding families. Um, funnily enough, my father is gay as well, um, and my brother's gay. <laughs> um, so it, it's probably in our blood or however it works. <laughs> um, so that side of things it was – I don't know, it's, it's hard to put into words, but it's very special to be able to actually have children in a same-sex, mas- in a same-sex marriage um, and to show everybody that it is possible. Um, very expensive, but it's possible. Um, and we had, we forgot to mention, well, I forgot to mention that we actually had quite a bit of help with my journey to motherhood. Um, we had a friend that um, created a backer buddy page for us she yeah put the word out there and before we knew it we had money for the first three trials and um yeah parents from the the children I taught years ago came forward and they gave us some funds and the children I was teaching their parents knew that I was trying to fall pregnant and how I was trying to fall pregnant and they helped as well um so with my yeah with my journey it was uh, it took a village. Yeah. It, it really took a village to to make you large, and I think we're forever grateful for them as well. Yeah, for a listener, um, can you tell us um, approximately how much does it cost uh, to have a baby this way? Well, in South Africa, at the specific um, fertility clinic, um, for one IUR, it's roughly. I think all included, it's probably about 19,000 rand. If you consider your blood tests, your doctor's visits, paying for the the sperm or the straw, and then the actual procedure. Yeah, it works out to roughly 19 per try. Sure. I mean, IVF is a whole other story, but oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. still, but it's still a lot of money. I mean, it's still a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, you know, the second time around, it was – it was almost so overwhelming because we didn't think about that. We kind of knew we wanted a second baby and then our hearts were were set on it. And then it came around to, well, oh, my gosh, how are we going to pay for this? And like Morgan said, you know, uh, 
one of our very good friends, Saran, she just said, well, why don't you, why don't you ask people to help you? You know, you've got a village of people who are always saying, if you need anything, ask and you don't ask. So now you need something. And, and she said, if you don't want to ask, I'll ask. And she did. And she created this page. And, and within weeks, we had enough to, to fund the first three trials of Elijah. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you want to uh, chat to your children about the way they were conceived and everything. So what did you agree on and how uh, are you planning to tell them their stories and where they come from? Um, well, we had kind of anticipated that our children would ask us that question when they were maybe 25, you know, like. <laughs> no. Uh, but, no. But Olivia, actually, funnily enough, I don't know. I don't know why and I don't know how she understood the concept of it. She is remarkably um, smart, which funnily enough, the, when, I, when I mention that to the fertility doctors, they always say, oh, yeah, our babies are always very clever. So I don't know if there's a trick <laughs> to intelligence here. But people. they probably do a, a very strict screening of who yeah. donates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and she's just incredibly intelligent and she – She asked us probably when she was like, and I'm not joking, probably two, two and a half. She asked us like, who's my dad? Where do I come from? And luckily we had spoken about it beforehand because we were able to answer her. And we just said to her that she was made by the two of us with a doctor and the help of a very, very kind person who we do not know, who wanted to help people like us become a family without even knowing us. You're a very kind soul. Yeah. And that's, and, and she, she had, and did she ask questions about this person or not really? Not really. I think at that time for a few days, she like kept asking. I don't know if she thought we would give a different answer. And then, and then that was it. And then she hasn't actually asked since then. And now that, she's older and her brother's here. And if we're watching something or listening to something and they talk about like mom and dad, or someone says, where's your mom and dad or whatever, she'll just say, I don't have a dad. I've got two moms. That's my mommy. And that's my mama. Yeah. And for her, that's good enough. She's happy. And she's actually quite proud of it, to yeah. be honest. It's like her favorite story to tell is that, you know, she'll tell anyone who'll listen. I've got two moms and that's my mom and that's my mama. And yeah she's so proud of us you know and I think I think people also don't realize especially for the listener is that when you've got two moms you know one needs to be called mama and one needs to be called mommy because otherwise you know you scream mom and then everyone you know but two people yeah. so you know there's little things like that that I think people don't realize when you're in a same-sex relationship that you need to think about all of those things and and how are you going to navigate Um, when they mm -hmm. say, well, where's my dad? Because everyone at school's got a dad. You know, most people have yeah. got dads. Like, why is mine? Yeah. Um, so um, it's wonderful the way you've explained. And, and to just yeah. answer them as they ask, you know. Yeah. And even as parents, to navigate that there isn't a dad in the home. You know, I think Morgan's upbringing is a little bit different to mine, and mine's not even that stereotypical. But I sort of always had um, – a mom. I grew up always with my mom. I lost my dad at a very young age, but then had a stepdad. So I always had a home where I had a mom and a father figure. And there were certain roles that each person had. Mom had certain roles because that's what moms do. And then 
dad or father figure has a different role because that's what dads do. And in our home, that's not a thing. So that in itself was quite difficult initially to figure out, like, so like, so what do you do and what do I do? Your do place. We, mm, yeah. yeah, like, do we just do what we do or do we need to discuss who does what or, like, who disciplines or who doesn't discipline or, like, who's good cop, bad cop because, you know, like. I remember when Olivia was born, I was quite maternal. Like I said, even though I, yeah. she didn't come from my stomach, she came from my heart, I always tell her that. I was quite maternal and looking back, I feel bad for Nicola for, um, because I know now having birthed a child, your hormones and your, your mentality and your, your mental state at the time, I was quite maternal and I, I wanted to be as involved as Nicola was. I, like I said, I wanted to breastfeed and I wanted to help out with, um, night feeds and yeah, I, 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 I think I overstepped my mark a little bit too much and I didn't let her gather her own, uh, I don't know, her own space and, and explore her, her motherhood journey. So it took us about two weeks to actually find where we, in a good in a good way, it wasn't bad at all. It's just where we stood with one another, like our roles. Um, so, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're a listener and, and um, you're going through the whole two-mom thing, just consider that in terms of your roles and, and let your, your partner just explore. Let them have their, um, their journey. <laughs> yeah. What, so what are your roles now? How, and well, how do you decide who is mama, who is mommy? So initially when Olivia was little, um, Morgan was more of like, she would try and teach her the right from wrong. And I was like, shame, but she's so little and she's so cute. And like, don't make her cry, you know, like don't yell, like shame, the poor thing. And and as I've, as she's grown up, it's become more me who is, for both our children, sort of the more disciplined one. Um, Morgan is more relaxed and she's more playful, just generally as a person, um, whereas yeah. I'm more structured and black and white and yes and no and right and wrong and um yeah I tend to be the one that if they fall down they run to me they run to Nicola as well but if they if they need a a boo-boo hug or a kiss or something um they run to mommy they do run to Nicola they'll look to me to see if they're in trouble first (laughs) and then and then run to Morgan look at Nicola (laughs) I've only just met you today okay and (laughs) And and I can see that I wouldn't mess with you either. Okay. <laughs> She's, I don't know if, if, I had a, if I had a boo boo, I would go to Morgan definitely. What a laugh! Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh goodness so, me! But so so if. If I, if I can ask both of you, and obviously you can answer separately, but what words of wisdom would you like to share with other families, um, you know, of two, you know, of two moms or just of parents um, that you wish that you knew before? Two words. It's possible. It's possible. I like that. It's possible. Yeah. Simple, um, but efficient. Yeah, definitely. It's possible with the right help and the right the right tribe and the right knowledge it's possible you can do it um yeah and just just know that you want it enough 
to do it, to actually act on it. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's the most remarkable journey. Uh, you'll learn a lot about who you are, uh, a lot about the people around you, and you'll, you'll win some struggles and you'll lose some struggles. And um, you'll find out who has your back and who doesn't have your back. And at the end of the day, you, you have to know that your partner and your family mm. come first, no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, that's the one thing I've really learned is that it's okay to put my wife and my children first. And it doesn't matter what people think of that. It doesn't matter what people think of the decisions we've made as parents for our children, um, the things we allow, the things we don't allow, the way we communicate with our children. Um, it's us. And thankfully for us, we have an unbreakable bond between the two of us. We've been through a lot together. We've lost people, um, family. We've, we've, we've been through a lot. We've shed a lot of tears together for each other and with each other. And um, we know that we are a team. And so for us to work together to put our family first, it's okay. And we will never, ever apologize to anyone for that because this is what we want. This is what we worked for. And this is, this is the dream that Morgan said is possible. And at times it feels like it's overwhelming and it's difficult and it's the hardest thing, but it's so worth it. When you look back, you get into bed at the end of the night and you discuss your day and the things that the kids did and how they've grown and the things they've learned. And I mean, the discoveries that they make every day, it's just, it's unmatchable. Nothing compares to being a mother, I don't think. It's a beautiful dream. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. I'd love to recommend... Um a book that I used to read to my son, which is, you can look it up. It's the, the author is Todd Parr and it's called the family book. And it's, I don't know if you've know it. I don't know if you know Todd Parr, you can't really no. get him here. And um, they're, they're very colorful books. And I mean, even for you, Deborah, and for the listeners is that it's lovely books. And it says, you know, this family has a mom and a dad. This family has two moms. This family um, is big and you see like all the ducks this family and it's just it's it's about different families and it's just one-liners and they are it's really so beautiful they really should be at schools hint hint so yeah yes <laughs> love yes. it i'm picking up it i'm picking it up <laughs> yeah Thank you yeah. so much, uh, Morgan and Nicola. I'm so happy you accepted to share your story with us. Um, when Lisa told us um, about you guys and she said, oh, you need to interview this couple. They are so lovely. And now I understand why. Uh, I just loved hearing you and you, you have such a beautiful love and relationship. It gives me the chills. So happy <laughs> anniversary. Um, we send you all the love. Um, Thank you so much. That was a beautiful gift you shared with us, uh, talking with us today. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. Absolutely. Anytime. Theoni, I just loved uh, having a couple on a podcast. We haven't done it uh, that many times before. What, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, it was interesting having, you know, two women and two stories and, you know, and and I was aware of the time and I'm wanting to get the most out of it. (laughs) Uh, And it was just lovely that that they they were able to, you know, tell both their stories. And they are so different, but at the same time, they're really, I don't know, there's something special about them. I I found them so cute, um, the way they they looked at each other when they were chatting and where they were like, ah, oh, but my pregnancy was terrible, but yours was really easy. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was a really nice interaction to, to watch. And again, it just, it just shows us, you know, we've always said this from the beginning of the podcast is that every birth is unique. Every pregnancy exactly. is unique. And every, yeah, every journey of becoming a mother is unique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they've got the same donor, you know, they went to the same fertility clinic. It doesn't matter. Everything unfolds as it needs to. Um, I really like the part when, um, you know, it was the last straw. You know, we talk about the last straw, but this is like a straw of sperm. <laughs> the last straw of sperm, it's like that's a big deal when it's the last one. It's like this has got to work. Um, so that was very, very special that, that, it, that he arrived. And today there are still so many countries where, uh, gay marriage is illegal and it's impossible for gay parents to have babies together. Uh, so I, I really wanted to bring on this story on, the, on our podcast because I want to show people how two people who love each other can raise babies together. And it doesn't matter in the end if they love each other and they are doing this, you know, in a conscious way. It's just so beautiful, and I, I really hope that we can open minds and hearts about this topic. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed this last episode of the Becoming Mother podcast. Uh, we have 10 episodes, and um, we hope you learned and um, cried and laughed with us, and we will be back soon with more episodes and more amazing birth stories. Yes, and please keep um, sharing the love and sharing with other people that can be supportive for them, uh, commenting, leaving us voice notes. You could leave a voice note even on Instagram um, or if you have our numbers. It's just so lovely to get that feedback so that we know um, yeah, that you're enjoying it, uh, what you're liking. And also to rate the podcast. We are a very new uh, little baby podcast still. We are growing slowly and steadily and surely. But the more you can um, obviously share with us and the more you can share with people, uh, that would be absolutely amazing. While we are waiting for season two of the Becoming Mother podcast, you are welcome to reach out to us and share your birth stories with us for uh, the season two. So our email address is becomingmother.podcast at gmail.com. We've produced this podcast on our free time and uh, it has been uh, quite a labor of love um, because we both uh, have quite busy lives and um, be- busy jobs that we are very passionate about. So this podcast is really uh, something that we wanted to put out there to share all the stories uh, for women to feel empowered, inspired, and to feel informed for their own birth. If you love the podcast and you feel that you want to support us, uh, we'll share some information on our social media platforms 
And uh, this way you can contribute financially or you can support us by uh, rating our podcast on the platform you are listening us on. I feel quite... Um... I mean, we've said that this is quite an achievement and we wanted to do this, but to actually come to the 10th episode and that we actually have done this, it's just, yeah, it just really feels amazing. And part of me also feels emotional, like, because we're not quite sure when second season will start. Obviously, we'll keep people up to date on um, on social media. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank each of you and to all the listeners. Um, and also a special thank you to every single woman who had the was brave enough and courageous and to share their stories so that you had these beautiful stories to listen to. So we really thank each and every one of them. Thank you for listening to us and thank you for all the comments that kept, kept us going and inspired us. Um, so we hope to see you very soon. Much love and see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>